Okay. So, the Performersion is a format that has been devised by Alexandra Wolf, Program Director of the Republica and the Performing Arts Program from, for which for whom I am here speaking today. And its goal is to, um, to let experts from the fields of performing arts, um, digital arts and technology development onto a level uh, playing field and research field um, and enable real collaborations and that worked out in 2016 we started this year we have um, a funding break or a dip and from 2019 and 2020 until 2021 we're happy to announce that we got eu funding for that format so you will find us uh, at republica next year and the year after that and the year after that and also in other european cities um my uh, I, i please uh, my dear uh, co-panelists enter the stage while I'll try to level the field of this talk as well um re please come on onto stage um so the The main reason for that um, panel was that um, discussing the same problem a year ago with Carl Ginnett, we figured out that all the haptic mechanical developments to enable full physical feedback in VR are probably not the ones we will use in like 10 years. So the major develop so the major things you might all know about them I just repeat them very quickly. It's either mechanical or electronic based feedback on the skin like the Tesla suit or some data gloves. Somebody had tried it. It's um, uh, some work with heat and cold as well. They give you an immediate feedback and then there's also the dream of a neurolace network but which is, that is still a dream um, bought by Elon Musk and it will be inserted in your brain and um, use the brain as a direct interface and and then another one where Carl and me differ Carl thinks that the ultra haptics it's a startup that works with ultrasound that is crossing over ultrasound lines waves in the space so that you get a physical feedback through sound waves that this might be a good consideration but you still have to have a very big array of uh, ultrasound speakers that engage and all these technologies um, are and will be complicated to wear. And um, so our thesis was that there will be other um, ways of learning feedback in VR um, more um, and more developing. And I'm very happy that there are three people on stage that know more about touching and the different forms of touching than me. And um, I'm glad to introduce Ramona Mossi. She's a um, lecturer for theater and performance art at the Freie Universität, Gerko Egert, um, a theater and dance scholar also at Freie Universität and an author of um, the major new book on touching in dance. And Melanie Jane Wolf, she um, is a world-renowned performance artist and she uh, left people stunned by her performances and they have significant and never I think never felt would be the right word never felt scales of touch within them and um, and so I'm very glad that 
your you three are here. And my first question uh, would be, uh, what are your thoughts towards this panel's title, to touch in a virtual space? Ramona, would you like to start? Okay, sure. Um, so, thank you very much for having me. I'm really glad to be here. It's a very exciting setting and format for me coming from um, the sort of more traditional theatre stage. Um, um, and uh, I mean, basically, the reason I guess why I'm here and what I've been working on is a uh, performance that um, was a performance where we were trying to figure out um, what to do with the body in VR. And um, it was called Playing with. Um, playing with virtual realities and it had dancers that were um, engaged in um, VR and partially in VR and partially not and so really what there became like the big kind of stickling point and what we were trying to figure out was how to kind of um, how to have the body reappear in the virtual space for the dancers because the biggest problem for dancers who work everything through their kind of somatic experience was to um, be in VR and have this very intense experience but not to be able to see their bodies anymore. Um, and um, so what I've done is I've um, brought you a little clip actually um, and maybe I'll, I'll show that to you um, and then gives you a little bit of a sense maybe of what we were doing and also um, my contention is I think that we'll have to get around of trying to find a technical problem to a technical way of, of figuring out touch in VR but that really what we can do is figure out sort of perceptual tricks and um, and methods of uh, synesthesia to kind of combine our different senses and create um, a kind of sense of um, of wonder, I guess, that is there in the theater anyway, but that this kind of thing of, of switching your perception and really kind of messing with it is something that happens in VR and also happens in theater and that sort of is parallel. Um, and if you want me to, I'll show it to you now, I'll show it later. Then oh, we'll have it done and over with and then I don't have to get up again. Um, all right, so so this was my... Um, my um, um, parallel between theater and, and virtual reality is like this oh my god experience in both of them, right? Um, and what we were doing was um, to kind of create a, um, this kind of playing field with these two dancers and the important thing was that they were trying to, or they were supposed to negotiate between being in VR and outside of VR. So how could they touch, how could they communicate, how could they be with each other while one of them had this intense visual experience and the other one didn't. Um, and I'll show you a little one minute clip from that. Welcome. How about, how about dancing? All right, so um, 
So what we did in this, so we had always one person that was in VR and the, the thing and the, what they were seeing was projected behind them on the screen. And so that the audience, and there was a normal live audience, was watching them, was not immersed, but was kind of like watching their immersion, I guess, in a way. And, um, and what was happening on the screen, we were using very sort of basic um, um, VR applications that exist, like uh, the Google Tilt Brush that, was, uh, that actually happened in Google Tilt Brush. And, um, and so the idea was that the dancer would somehow be able to connect and... Um, <clears throat> touch the other sphere of the VR by sort of tracing their movement. So their movement became visually available in VR while they were moving um, live outside in the, in the actual space. And so that between those two, between this visual sort of like trace and the sort of actual bodily movement, there would be that sort of way of communicating and of touching each other in a, in a way, in a sort of more abstract way. And the other um, thing that we were doing that we were trying to create is a common sort of soundscape. And this is, I think, where I'm kind of trying to go with this idea that maybe touch is something that happens through like a multiplication of senses and that what, ha what happens is that when you, um, when you hear something and when you're touched by, um, uh, by sound waves, that um, in many ways maybe you can fake the actual touch, the haptic touch. And, um, and that, that maybe there are ways of sort of getting around this, um, this moment of, of, um, um, of having a body in VR. So um, I'll leave it here for the moment, and then maybe later on I'll have something else. But that's to start you off. Gerko, how is that reflected in your book or in your, <laughs> in your statement? Is touch just skin touching skin? I... Yeah, thanks for... Um... Uh, for, for this uh, introduction and, and for these remarks on, on virtuality. So um, in my work, I have nothing to do with, with VR. So um, I'm, I think my task is really to, to come from, from the side of, of thinking about um, touch in, in, um, in dance and performance. And um, so when, when I um, worked on touch, I was really interested in like these multiple layers of, of touch or these multiple dimensions of touch that are active in in like in every touch we uh, um, we perform or that um, occurs to us. So um, we always have a like a dimension of, of effect of, of like a very um, being affected by by touch. Um, then we also have a like a sensorial um, dimension and um, which is closely connected to, to the effective one. And one that I was really interested in was the dimension of movement. So. Um, For me, I think it's really important to think about touch not as the moment of bodily contact, of um, just the moment when, when two bodies um, are, are in, in direct contact, but to think about touch in, in, as a movement, as a movement that is, um, consists of approaching somebody else and as well as withdrawing from, from the other body. And when we think about touch as a movement, um, For me, a lot of questions that are um, related to touch change in, in very fundamental ways. So the whole dimension of, of the effectivity of touch, of, of like to, to differentiate between, let's say, a blow and, and, and caressing somebody is really a question of movement, of, of how fast we, uh, we approach somebody, how, how slow we do it. Of, or, yeah, we, always, we all know the situation of, of shaking somebody else's hand and, and like, just to, to shake it a bit longer makes a normal handshake really creepy and um, so it's it's these kind of, of rhythm and, and, and movement I was interested when I um, uh, when I was thinking about touch and, and dance and performance so 
in virtual reality, I, I don't know. I think, um, of course, a lot of questions come up again, and um, especially in in relation to to think about when we think about touch, not only as the bodily contact. Of course, we also have a touch without touch, and and I think this is really the question that that gets intensified or that 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 becomes um, relevant when when we think about um, touch and virtual reality, where we maybe don't have the like the the moment of of two bodies touching each other directly but but all these these moments um let's say where where touches in the moment of of appearing or, or disappearing so that would be interesting for me to to talk about um the yeah the the touch as as a movement and and the non touch let's say in it Melanie, does that reflect from your perspective as an active artist who's getting very much in touch with audience from performance to performance? Um, hi, everyone, and, and thank you, Julian, for the invitation to be here. Um, for me, for me, I'm, I'm very interested, of course, in VR, I, or I became very interested in VR recently when I had my first VR experience at uh, Museum der Bildende Kunst in Leipzig. There was a work by an artist called, uh, I hope I get her name right, Natalie Ruggiero. And it was a short uh, experience, an immersive experience, where you basically are in a teenage girl's bedroom and you start trashing it. You'd be able to pick things up and smash things. And that, of course, was very um, a very seductive experience and it was fun. Um, but up until that point, I hadn't been interested in working with VR. After that point, I was very interested. But I think for me, the, the, the big question is a question of... Uh, Yes, touch can be a choreography or a score or it can be understood as affect. We understand that touch is not purely about a physical, material point of contact, but it's also something that operates within the virtual or the immaterial spaces. But it's also qualitative. Touch is qualitative. If we're talking about touch operating between two human agents, which is generally what we're talking about, I think, um, there's the question of intention. And that intention informs the affect of the touch. It's, your touch is qualitative, and I think that's something that's interesting for me. I mean, I don't know what the techniques are of that, and I'm not interested in them. But like, I think for the purposes of the conversation, it's, it's these ideas of is the quality of touch and, and is that qualitative difference uh, perceivable then by an audience if we're talking about VR in a, in a theatrical or a performance or an art context? Because then it needs to be representation of something or representational of itself in a way how do how does an audience um, feel or understands your intention in a touch or how do you try to touch or move so that you, the audience can understand your intention theater magic no I'm joking <laughs> um, well I think um, something that's very interesting to me in my work I make work generally that can be considered feminist work. I make work that is about the representation of women. Um, and I'm very interested in work that is typically considered uh, the labor of women. And there are, certain, there are many different forms of work in which affective labor is very necessary. So, for example, nurses, teachers, taxi drivers, uh, exotic dancers, even police... There, there is a skill set that is developed over time in these occupations in which there can be a very nuanced and sophisticated um, 
I'm going to use the word manipulation, manipulation of the affective space in order to control bodies in agency. Um, and uh, through performing and um, through various occupations that I've had in which these effective labors, different forms of effective labor, have had to be learnt and developed as skills, um, that's how it comes to be transferred into my art practice. Yeah. But I can't tell you how to do it. You have to learn by doing. Yeah. That's, yeah, and that's it, the trick. <laughs> and it's, uh, it would be interesting to somehow find out where your approach and your approach, where they are limited by the, um, by the not only present limitations of VR, but also the future limitations, so that you, in effect, will never touch the skin of a person you meet in VR. You will not touch it. But my question mm. to that question is, why do we need to? Yeah, that is... Um, <laughs> People yeah. are thinking about that a lot and investing lots of money into the simulation of a skin touch. So the old, I don't know, probably driven by weird sexual needs that there someday there will be body-to-body -body contact via electricity possible. But, um, yeah. I'm just wondering whether, you know, like, isn't on some level, I mean... Yeah, trusting sort of in, in the powers of the imagination that then can... Um, can actually um, um, work through some of these things and maybe um, can get to a sort of sphere of touching that otherwise, um, you know, so you have, what you're doing obviously with VR is you're really giving one of your sense percep sensory perceptions, sight, um, a really intense experience. And, um, and I think you can harness that and, and work with that if you're, if you're trying to also sort of think of the other senses and, and think specifically about uh, listening and sound, then um, you, can, you can create a sense of touching through that um, as one level. That would be a much easier thing to do. So so if you, especially if you work with binaural sound, and there have been a lot of really interesting performance um, examples of, of binaural sound experiments, where you do have the sense if somebody is then breathing into your ear, you do have the sense of actually um, a shiver running down your spine. So you don't have to have the person there. You just have to sort of um, fake that well in that sort of sense. And since you're already so um, intensely immersed in one way, I think you can support that with, um, with sort of other gestures. Um, and the other thing, I mean, I, I was just in a in Bristol um, two days ago, I think, and there was a sort of multi-person VR space where um, it was really interesting to be in the space with like three or four other people, and you would sort of play around with um, with throwing things towards each other. And the only thing that was really kind of weird and strange was that when these sort of um, kind of balls or objects were coming towards you, they wouldn't stop at you, obviously. They would just go right through you. Um, and you'd be like, okay, there needs to be just some some tiny little thing. It could just be even a sound or it could be just the, the sense of the thing sort of like moving backwards without it having touched you. It would give you the intense um, kind of feeling of actually being touched. So I think they're just, they're really interesting ways around it that are maybe... Um, much more magical than um, than creating this sort of full bodysuit experience. Yeah, so there are quite a few theater groups working on that field, combining and uh, in 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 our email preparation, I mentioned uh, Macropol and Bombina yeah. Bombast as two examples. One uh, for those who don't know um, their work. 
called the shared individual. They've got a full audience um, all having um, headgears on and they see all the plays they're actually in and they see the performer who's actually on stage and then they switch into her perspective and um, and and spread out their hands in front of them and then the person on stage is touched it's physically touched and the audience feels it through the jump into the perspective of, of a protagonist and that is um, um, a very interesting um, theater uh, or a theater magic moment that you obviously will come up in your future uh, endeavors in VR as well or maybe not but that's something that obviously works how does that fit into your um, line of questioning Gerko? Yeah I think um, we have if, if we look at even if we look at the word touch we we have like these these two um, uh, dimensions or these these two usages of the word where on the one hand we have like the, the physical haptical touch and and then we have a whole discourse in in in, in the, the perception of art of being touched and and there's no like actual touch happening or no no like haptic touch happening and and I think this is uh, Uh, precisely what, what Ramona was referring to, like to have this this um, being affected by and 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 to to have a bodily sensation that that you see and and I think this this being touched is also very much connected to if we look at at um, I don't know if you look at empathy or so and the example that always comes up is, is the rope dance and and you really. F Fear the, the the fear of of, of height and, and even though you're sitting on your chair and 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 so I think we we don't yeah we, um, yeah as as you both said we don't need the, the the actual physical touch happening to to have similar sensations and and then of course we we, we have to look at touch as as really like this this complex knot of, of of effects and, and sensations rather than, than just the stimulation of, of the skin. So I would say that like to, to stimulate the skin with an electronic device is probably the most boring way to, to think about touch in technical terms and, and you can do it in, in much like more complex ways without using this, this technology. Could you elaborate on the point of empathy, how empathy is connected to feeling a touch without being physically touched? I think it's... Um, so, in, in, in empathy, you, um, the, the, the discussion is a lot about that you feel something, that, that you see somebody else's feeling. So, that, like the most common examples, like somebody is sad and, and you get sad, or somebody's angry, and, and in an empathetic involvement, you, you also get angry. But, of course, you, you have an... In, in art, you have like you watch a movie and and you see um, uh, somebody is, is mourning or so, and and you you get a like not exactly the same but more a similar state of of, of sensa uh, sensational affective state, and and um, of course you can then link it very much to to the perception of movement and and to to. Um, When you watch dance, a lot of, of the pleasure in, in watching dance is that, that you see people performing movements that, and, and you in a way feel, that, uh, feel it in your body without performing them yourself, without performing these movements yourself. And, and 
and of course also the risk, yeah, as I said, with, with the rope dance and the risks that are connected to, to these movements. And um, yeah, so there is a certain kind of, of like being touched with in in the sensorial realm of, of vision or acoustics, uh, but but without the the direct touch between stage and audience or artwork and audience. Yeah, and I, th I think also the the question in terms of uh, of empathy is obviously one of proximity, right? I mean, like, that's what VR can really render. It can render things really, really close to you, and that's why I think uh, I mean, there's all this stuff about how. VR is sort of an empathy machine, actually, and that, that it can obviously also be used for political purposes quite well. And there are these things like um, um, there is a VR channel for the UN that is trying to give you a sort of refugee experience. Um, and, and, and the fact that, as in the shared individual, that you're, you're supposedly really be able to switch out of your body and out of your individual consciousness into the one of another, that's obviously one of the sort of... I don't know. That, that, that's one of those dreams that everybody has had at some point or another like what would it be like to be look at myself from outside of my body from and that's what the shared individual can render it can you you look at yourself as the audience although you are still there so that is a very strange sort of feedback um, and I think with dance the other thing that's obviously really exciting about that and how to combine the two is um, that dance obviously really works with um, talking you through and, and harnessing sort of real somatic experiences. So I was wondering actually what it would be like if you, um, if in VR you didn't just reference the world that you are moving into, but you also reference back somehow to your body and you talk people through their physical experience that's still outside the... So you have this sort of world that you're in. But at the same time, if you... I mean, this was what our dancers were trying to do because um, they had to sort of try and check back in with their body that was still outside of the visual sphere that they were in, right? Because they still had to move outside of VR in one way or another. And, I mean, in effect, they were, were, they were dancing blind when they were dancing there. And so, um, in a way, you have to sort of try and, um, and relate back to other body parts in ways that you usually wouldn't. So there might be really interesting ways of having a back and forth between having a really interesting other um, sort of visual experience and also um, getting sort of little um, ideas or sort of pointers to sort of feedback in to your legs or to your arms or something else or like feel where you're sweating now or something like that and having these sort of like very um, sort of minute detailed things of, 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 of checking back in with your body I guess in a way. Ramona I'm interested in in this project that you, yeah. you you made and in terms of it being presented say it's being presented to a larger audience what the audience sees so they see everything we see on the screen now so they're seeing the person in with their body in VR, but also their VR experience on the screen. I think that's a really a thing I really enjoyed with this one experience that I had. I was with a friend who's also a, a dancer and a choreographer, and we were both remarking on how quickly we abandoned any knowledge of our physicality that we had understood, you know, and we've trained somatically, and we abandoned it completely in order to understand the mechanics of this new world. But we were both very conscious somehow in this dual core kind of moment of, of the performativity of our body outside the VR experience. And I think that for me is, is a very, is the most interesting setup um, in terms of a theatrical or an art context is seeing this kind of hauntological mm -hmm. uh, experience, you know, like this agency of the virtual as, as Mark Fisher says, like this, the being at the cusp of two spaces and the, watching someone who is so skilled 
bodily, completely abandon their body knowledge because this thing with dance and why dance is so interesting to experience live and not so interesting to experience on video is because uh, the empathy also happens because you are witnessing these bodies labor. There's no better choreography than one in which people are really working. Um, yeah. I also just wanted to comment on this empathy, this idea of an empathy training uh, through VR, and that terrifies me. I think it's just, for, I mean, you know, on the one hand, there's this amazing project and this interesting setup and, and being able to sit at the cusp, and then at the other end, there's this idea that, uh, I mean, the death of empathy is because of the, the like, systematic destruction of imagination. So, yeah, I just wanted to throw that in. But couldn't it also be, so I was wondering, that was also one idea that came up in, in, uh, in the talks with uh, Carl Ginnett, is would it be, um, could there be like a switch? So when you meet a person in VR, in something like VR chat, you can't be sure that this person, even if she, or in a real person avatar, you will never know if it's a real person. So... Uh, normally, people go into fairy and uh, are super um, heroes and uh, are f famous uh, computer game characters and so on uh, when they choose an avatar for a VR chat. But some of them use photos of themselves to render their avatar so that that somehow represents their body or their physique. Some not. Would there be something like a realness button that really proves, like, um, encrypted proofs that this person's image is the real image, would that be something in VR that would in, um, enable more empathy? So, like, um, I know that just from friends, but in Tinder you've got this switch in a relationship when you s go to, uh, to a, a WhatsApp or where your real phone number is uh, available and you leave the one digital bubble for the next one. But there's kind of an, intim it's an intimate move. Would something like, I really look like this in VR be an intimate trigger or an empathy trigger? For me personally, like if we're going to talk about the VR space as some kind of uh, potential social space where we take it to another another digital space, I mean, it's about fantasy and play. I'm not interested. For me personally, I'd be far more interested in the way someone has constructed their avatar, if that's is that what mm -hmm. we call it. I felt like I just sounded really 90s when I said that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm much more interested in people's... Uh, um, you know, literacy within the visual field mm -hmm. uh, than having some sort of authenticity moment. But that's also because I make theatre and I'm not interested in authenticity. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would um, second that and say that it's really like coming from, from theatre or film. Or so we see a lot of like empathy, moments of empathy without any realness factor. Like, mm -hmm. I think cinema is probably the, the, the best example for it. And, um, And in, like, in the whole discussion about empathy, there, there was, uh, at the beginning of the century, the, the whole discussion about, is there the possibility of, of empathy with abstract forms? So is there, um, do we 
even need a human body to, mm -hmm. to, to feel empathy. And, and I think a lot of, of what we described with, with like feeling the, the movement the, the dancers performing, it doesn't really matter if it's a human dancer, if you maybe see some see just some movements. And, and I think that there's VR as a, as a field where, where you can really, in a, in a very interesting way, experiment with that. And, and because you're not bound anymore to the, to the human body, you can much more easily animate non-human bodies than you can do on a real-life stage. Where, of course, you can do it, but it takes much more effort. I was thinking this when I was watching the VR chat videos that you shared, and then I went into this YouTube wormhole watching <laughs> VR chat videos for a really long time. And I was kind of exactly in this new materialist kind of interest. You know, I think I'd be a table or a mountain. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're not limited to, to the human form. And so that does, perhaps that also opens up uh, this VR space is a as a really interesting space for practical practical experimentation and play with questions of ethics that are really important actually yeah I mean I was um, just kind of thinking back on when I was in that multi VR space was we were only represented by like a box I was a pink box there was a green box and a blue box and I thought whoa Okay, this is actually like super liberating not to have to think about your body or different parts of it and to be reduced that much to like just that little box. And I was like, whoa, I can play around. This is great. Um, and I think I was, I'm kind of wondering whether it's not thinking through reduction as a way to actually kind of create a much more intense and interesting experience in VR. Like not to try to make a forest where you feel like every leaf looks real, right? But rather to, um, to kind of uh, just have one sensation maybe that you're really after like I, we were we, have, we did a symposium as part of this and there was a VR shaman and she was really into lucid dreams and she really wanted to create the idea of floating floating was her thing that's what she wanted to do so I'm wondering whether um, if you you're just sort of channeling all of the sort of um, info that you put into the VR into that sort of floating experience whether that's not a much more interesting experience to be had than to just sort of sit in a forest that's totally real and or seems to be totally real um, and where you can sort of walk around and that's it right so um, because really what you want is you want to sort of shift in perception whatever you do on whatever, whether it's in theater or whether it's in VR you somehow want to be surprised that's what Brecht wanted that's what I don't know that's what we all still want somehow and do you want that oh my god is that really true and um, and so I'm kind of wondering how do you get to these things and I think it's really becoming quite um, adept and and literate and how the how the kind of uh, how the medium works and I think we really I mean certainly I have uh, very basic only ideas of it and I think in general aesthetically VR is really at, at the whatever at like the toddler stage if that right so um so in many ways we still have to make up the aesthetic vocabulary to make this work and to make this interesting um because i was um, actually in preparation for this i was looking through different sort of video game things and um and everybody was talking about journey this video game that actually doesn't work at all with language but has these um sort of cloaked you're a sort of cloaked person that goes through a desert and you're trying to go all the way up to a mountain and in the end the whole thing is sort of a, a metaphor of what life is all about sort of climbing to that mountain and when you get to the mountain you die um, and 
but um, but you know, but in the end, you go to heaven, and it's kind of nice. So, um, so I mean, it was a, it was kind of an interesting, cool experience. But it was actually working. It was not working with language. It wasn't really verbalizing any storyline. It wasn't kind of trying to get you to do loads of different things. It was quite simple, and the simplicity of that, I think, was the thing that made it really. Um, quite captivating and also um, allowed for loads and loads of people to um, to be playing this. And so I'm wondering, isn't that what we kind of try to need to figure out? What are actually the aesthetic tools in VR and how are they different? And how do we actually have to learn again to have a body when we're in there? Because you really do have to learn that again. I think that I want to go to um, back to one thing you said that might be an interesting correlation because you described a group experience or at least a small group experience. Mm -hmm. Also, what Macropol and Bombina Bombasta are doing successfully is a group experience. Theater is a or dance is a group experience. Does it does it need that moment to lose at least a little bit of yourself in the group setting to enable empathy and touch without? physical skin touch so that you go to a big scale concert to immerse yourself in the crowd and then get really touched is that something that could simu be simulated in VR to enable touching like for example you become an, you choose an abstract uniform form that strips your body uh, very metaphorically aside could that be something Ooh, I don't know, maybe. Is that I mean, like, the way to intimacy in VR? Maybe that is. I mean, like, I'm, I'm kind of, I mean, definitely, I think the whole question of how to become social in VR and not be totally isolated, sort of sitting in the corner with your glasses and everything else has sort of gone away. I think that's very important. And I think people who are in the field, like, that's what, what Apple's sort of sticking point is, right? AR is much more interesting than VR because it allows you to kind of have that sociability much more easily. So how can you... Um, create that sort of social dimension and I think that's um, that is certainly super interesting and then in the context that I was in um, yeah I mean you obviously have to have a very very powerful computer in order to create that sort of space where you're all in at the same time and what they are now able to do is they can also have people come in remotely so that all of them are there whether you're all in the same room originally or whether somebody comes in from Beijing, China and you all sort of sit there. And in this case, this is because it's in a research setting, which actually it's, it's, it's geeky scientists showing each other their sort of molecules and how <laughs> the molecules they've created, which I think is fascinating. And it apparently works much better to look at them in VR than in the real world because of the way you can sort of enlarge them and you can touch them and you can throw them around and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, so maybe, I mean, I definitely think in general, figuring, figuring out how to be, um, how to connect with others within that um, VR space, I think that's definitely one of the big challenges and, and is the thing that needs to be addressed. And I think, you know, I guess you got to go through the first thing. It's like you're there and you're just first of all experiencing for yourself. But what does it mean if you now add all four of us and we'll, we'll sit there and, and how does that uh, change us, I guess, in a way? And we're not only four of us, but also an audience. You can prepare already your questions because we will go soon into a Q&A if you want to. And if, um, if um, we are happy to um, have your questions. But I just wanted to challenge your authenticity. Because if I remember correctly, your vertical performance could end up for some visitors. Um, so you put them up onto a bell tower and then you rang the bell is that did i research that correctly oh yeah and i think um, <laughs> that happened <laughs> then um under certain circumstances 
you ended up in a in a in a bed and they sang you a lullaby. That's correct. It's a, an incredible, intimate, um, very aesthetically um, 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 designed performance. But maybe you can because that sounds so intimate and so unescapably authentic. Well, it was definitely real. Yeah. <laughs> but I was <laughs> I was a persona. At yeah. the time, and the entire so in this performance, an appointment with Jay Dark, uh, yeah. a single audience member at a time, spends an hour or 50 minutes with me doing various things, re culminating in us being at the top of a, a clock tower of a town hall, doing as you said, ringing the bell, lying down, singing a song. But on the journey there, the entire thing uh, was very much about these different stations in which. Um, I was shape-shifting and the audience member or, or the participant uh, or the other was uh, invited to experiment with shape-shifting in terms of their own subjectivity and their own, uh, yeah, subjectivity, sense of self, multiplicity. So, I mean, this, again, this question of authenticity is, um, comes up and the whole point of the show is that there is no singularity, like this idea of this is me, this is myself, this is who I am. But uh, yes, it was definitely real. That it was very sweet, and we sang a song at the end. <laughs> Sounds great. I want to be part of that. You would love it. <laughs> but so, but so the way to the situation and the shape shifting is an important factor for experiencing then some unauthentic uh, intimacy in that situation. No, I don't think. Okay. It's, I just, I just, I avoid this term authentic, authentic yeah, altogether. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's then, real. Yeah. A real experience in VR would be a really great thing. So maybe that might be something to to go into detail as well, to think about how do you meet somebody in VR through certain stages of shifting, or if shape or whatever, or losing your individual appearance more and more, or getting a new one, or diving in deeper layers and diving in and diving in. And then laying the ground out for a real touch without a physical yeah, feedback. Yeah, but uh, sorry, I, yeah. I think that uh, as Ramona was describing these scientists and have their big models of their mo molecules, I mean, that's such a seductive idea for me, the idea that uh, multiple people can converge in a space and the touch is happening through, say, for example, you know, the thing that they are modeling together in which everything we understand about form is erased and we can begin again. You know, I mean, of course, there are going to be parameters for now, but uh, and so then you can get into really interesting kind of, again, praxis outside of language, um, practical convergence, which is extremely intimate because people in acts of creation and experimentation are at their most vulnerable. I was just wondering. Um, well, no, actually, actually. Intimacy, right? I have like a really weird video on like intimacy, if you want. Um, it's, um, has anybody heard of ASMR? Right, so this is like this big thing, right? And I think that's a really interesting way of how you fake touch again, right? It's something where you, um, so the, the videos are these um, usually sort of women that speak in very quiet, beautiful voices to people and they give them a sense of extreme relaxation and an actual tingling across the spine because you are 
um, suddenly in a sort of oral world that is so um, pared down again and reduced that um, that you're suddenly really intensively experiencing these these sounds that otherwise would just be sort of background or would be sort of blending into stuff. And so, um, I, th I mean, they are totally weird, I think. And I certainly did not have a tingly feeling experience when I watched them. But I thought it's very interesting. And this was really using YouTube in its own way and in a way that really worked, right? Because it really was using it within its own context and was thinking, well, what do people do? They sometimes, when they want to chill, they just watch a YouTube video. And they were giving them this intense feeling of being able to sort of step out of their own sort of setting and and experiences. So I think there's another ver version of sort of creating intimacy without um, being authentic about it at all. I think I guess well, well, I don't. I'm not sure, but definitely being in a very strange realm there. Thank you very much. Up until that point, and now we open up for a Q and A. If there are any questions? Tim is over there. He might have a mic. No. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Are there already any questions for that panel? Yeah. Yeah. Can have uh, my. Hi. Um, yeah, it's not working. I think. No, it's 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 working. It's working. No, it's fine. It Does it work? Ah, okay. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that it's the headphones, of course. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm curious uh, if you know anything about ideas, uh, what happens to the body in general. Of course, uh, the human being uh, can be confronted with many suggestions, and um, but I still ask myself, what happens to the entire body? Will it be a suit? Will humans be in a water tank or so? I mean, in the future... People have to come up with stuff, what to do with the body if the human being wants to immerse completely into VR. So what's new about that? I mean, the only thing that comes to my mind is like I, I saw some pictures of an um, VR arcade um, um, an arcade space in New York that's right next to the Empire State Building and there you really are sort of hooked up and you're um, you're sort of held because you're so intensively acting in that or you know moving around that you sort of somehow need to be constricted in order not to fall over um, so yeah so I'm wondering whether you're just sort of maybe you just lie down in a tank I like that idea actually especially in a water tank because then you the whole idea of being immersed sort of physically and um, slowly becoming some sort of shape-shifting um, uh, fish and at the same time being immersed kind of conceptually I, I love I love the water tank idea but yeah so the only other thing I can think of is the these kind of weird arcades where you sort of like tied into something Okay, so um, the, these suits are incredibly complicated, highly resource uh, um, uh, needing, and and not very effective in in my experience. So, and also you have to get naked, and if you rent them, so you're in a VR arcade, and you get like a very complicated diving suit on. That's uh, not a, that doesn't enable me to uh, immerse myself into anything except for shame, and um, so. Um, 
as a VR user, I have two different forms. The one that fits to, to what the panel said um, in, a, in a group where I experience something f challenging with others. And so I would opt for the VR arcade, but uh, in a non-naked sense. And uh, the other thing is when I use it at home, I'm extremely sensible to... Um, to um, lock the door to the room so that no child or no cat is entering the room and jumps onto me while I'm wearing that and I just need the most the safest and the most comfortable place for me to relax and really fall into it and that can be lying down which is sometimes complicated depending on the headset or uh, sitting in a comfortable chair and that's that's me and I like being I, I don't like I like being myself to, to get them. But that will probably change with our ways into uh, getting there. And I can, but I, to let loose, it's safe, warm, and alone, I guess. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm really stuck on this idea now of the, of the getting in the swimming pool. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and And, and this, you know, just this idea of being able to like slide into this kind of like sense, you know, sensory jelly kind of situation. It's amazing. That's all. Yeah, that might also be a, a, a big point that professionals will, um, in, a, in, a, in a very caring way, uh, will immerse you into the place where you can then really immerse. It's very wormal, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Next question. Yeah. Tim is coming with a mic. I just wanted to say that the um, immersive experience was done uh, a few months ago at VR Days Europe in Amsterdam. There was uh, a tank. Um, it was a container that was uh, filled with water and one side was glass. And uh, the experience was swimming with dolphins, and you would be. Uh, there was a changing room where you could uh, have your own bathing suit, and then you would dive into the tank, and people could see you swimming in the tank by yourself, but you were with the dolphins and with a with a waterproof headset on, and that was a remarkable experience. Just just to say, to share. How long did it take? The film itself, I think, was about five six minutes. Uh, and it was just basically an experiential thing of being with the dolphins and the dolphins coming up to you. But the nice thing was the, the, the immersive quality of the experience was incredible because you were in the water as well. So mm -hmm. the, there was a perfect duplication and the, and the movement, um, it, was, it, it felt just natural. It, it was a wonderful experience. But you couldn't touch a dolphin, so there was not a physical prop that no. represented. Okay. No, it was just yourself in your bathing suit with like a, a diving um, mm -hmm. mask on, and the diving mask was a headset. Yeah, thank you. But thank you for that. That's really exciting because I think that's precisely what I mean, that you somehow have to, you're activating your body sensation as at the same time in a sort of different yet supportive way, I think. And that's, I think those kinds of things would be super, super interesting. And I think they can work commercially really well as well, not just in a sort of like weird um, theatrical experimental context, which I totally out myself being in, right? And so, but I think that's, thank you for that. That's really great. I have pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and I also think that the question with the body is because the body is really, like there are so many physical um, 
restrictions and in, 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 in real life. So the question is, if if we experiment with VR, do we want to like duplicate the restrictions we have in real life to have a feeling as if we were in real life, or do we want to use the potential to to create another body? So the question would be then like where to go with the body is really a question of yeah, do we want to um, try to to copy reality or to to really um, yeah, create new bodies and, and use the potential to create new bodies, which I would say is much more interesting than than to, to in an always much more sophisticated way and developing way, try to, to copy reality. Also because there are a lot of people who are not able-bodied, right? And right, so yeah. there are extremely limited bodies that, you know, it should be democratic. And bodies get older and, uh, and also um, that... So, um, when when you go into the back markets of VR chat, I mentioned that yesterday in in, in, in another um, round. Um, there there are now people offering their services on Fiverr or on s different Reddits that they um, that they rebuild your avatar after your photos you sent them. So you can or people somehow chose also pictures of deceased or people who they loved to recreate them and then give them another person in VR chat so they come in, ask if they can swap avatars so that their opposite is um, the emulation of a deceased loved one or um, or maybe uh, somebody they fell in love long time ago and the push potential of that to get really like this black mirror San Fernando uh, where, where they uh, in the in the where they're in the um, senior citizen home, um, that that potential is enormous. And since Google probably knows whoever Googled since 1997, they've got a pretty good picture of what characters might be very interesting for me as a senile um, paraplegic. Any more questions? I was actually wondering whether anybody had what anybody else's most intense VR experience has been recently, aside from the Dolphins, which I think wins first place anyway. But, um, but what was it? What kind of experience was it that was most intolerable for you? Uh, yeah, last year uh, I've been to the World Hosting Days in Europa Park in Rust. It's, uh, yeah, it's a fun park uh, that opens a week after the, uh, this, this event and they had a very simple uh, roller coaster. It was not even a roller coaster, it was just like a, uh, yeah, a round track for children. It was not very spectacular going up and down. But um, some people programmed something really nice for VR goggles and you would find yourself inside of a huge mountain and where everything was full of crystals and funny creatures and there they uh, used the, uh, the physical effect of going up and down to actually uh, prolong it for yeah, loops and um, yeah, you would have completely different experiences. Like you were like going like into an eight and you would fall and you fell, then the railway broke and you fell down and a dragon saved you and the dragon was flying away with you and it all happened on this very simple track. So you can suggest many uh, uh, things. So that's amazing about the human brain. Oh. 
Hi, um, I think it was two experiences and the both of them has to do with um, seeing yourself in the experience. Uh, the one was when you were, you were sitting in, in a room and uh, you got the glasses and you see yourself in front of you. And the really nice point of that is that you, when you try to touch yourself, you feel, you, you pro suddenly you have, you feel that someone is touching you. You feel that you, you, you are touching yourself because someone is in front of you sitting, mimicking your movement. So it was the first time you, you tried to touch yourself, like, yeah, I'm going to be in the virtual world, and you feel something. You're like, oh, that's me. It was very, very nice. And the other one was also a, a project that you see yourself in the room like with the clothes you have and so on because it's mixed with uh, 3D, 3D technology so that's very nice and you actually are in the same room like out of body experience and trying to figure out why are you there and so on so that's very nice when you're this kind of out of body experience but you don't know if you are there or there that's very nice Thank you for sharing one of the strongest experiences for me was the uh, machine to be another. Mm -hmm. um, when, particularly when you experience it, it's an experience you have two people. And um, particularly when you experience it with a person of the opposite sex than yours. And you're, that was probably the strongest one. And yesterday I saw a pilot for an experience where I was a child, uh, maybe f five, six years old. And uh, everything was to scale to my to my height, and uh, it's a very very simple and very basic experience. But it was incredibly moving to see the adults much bigger than me, to see the furniture so inaccessible, and everything from that that point of view. Very very basic and simple, but very effective. Thank you very much. We are now at the end of our time. I'd like to wrap it up. And thank you very much for being with us for 60 minutes, which is um, sorry, which is sorry. Do you still hear me? Yeah, cool. Okay. So thank you very much for the panelists, Melanie Jane Wolf, Ramona Mossi, and Gerko Igat. They are still available for Q and A here, um, and you're welcome to ask them questions. And. I think we laid good ground for our endeavors in the next year. And also this afternoon at 4.15, uh, Senator for Culture and U Europe, uh, Dr. Klaus Lederer, will announce the uh, schedule to have a fully funded innovation fund in Berlin that is, will fund hopefully all our endeavors and those uh, experiences we will like uh, to experience and yours as well and hope to see you uh, on the next panel or on the next stage or next year. Thank you very much. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Ashtin, for um, hosting us. <laughs>